Welcome to the Building Community Podcast, a show for thought leaders like you. You know that success depends on relationships between your organization and the people in and around it. This season will focus on insider insights, where experts will let you in on their best practices in a specific area of community building. Together, we shine the light on how community helps you reach your corporate goals. I'm your host, Timona Pacha, and I've been empowering organizations for a decade and a half doing exactly that. Ready for it? Listen in as we set out to make communities thrive. When it comes to people, you have to sweat the small stuff because it's the small stuff that helps foster trust, that helps foster safety, that helps foster commitment. This is Alicia Enriquez as she points out that when it comes to our teams, small things often have the biggest impact to stop learn and listen, to get curious, and to just care about the human, about the individual. Alicia is a strategic people professional and head of people at LifeBlocks. She's also a founding member of Troop HR. LifeBlocks is a seed stage startup and was founded in 2021. Alicia's role is to build the foundation of the people function and to help cultivate culture from the ground up. Interested in Alicia and her work? Find out more in the show notes. Our organizations in many sectors suffer today because of challenging market conditions that we see. Forecasting is being adjusted and budgets are being cut left and right wherever we look. We see it in the media. We see it when we talk to business leaders of all different sectors. And also the way that our team members prefer to work has significantly changed over the last few years. We've seen it. Every organization has experienced it. When we dig a bit deeper into those challenges, it's actually HR and people leaders who have that toughest job. They are the ones who will build the foundation for our organizational success by attracting, identifying, and helping retain top talent. Because the foundation of successful organizations is, drum roll here, it is our teams. And when you find the right fit, this perfect synergy between individual goals and corporate goals If that is present, then it's our teams who help organizations turn things around. And today, that's exactly what we're looking at. We'll look at the HR and people side of our operations. With that, I'd like to welcome you to the show, Alicia. Thanks, Simone. Alicia, let's get right into it. Why is investing in our people critical for organizations and for organizational success today more than ever before? Yeah, I think that first and foremost, organizations are successful when they're meeting their business goals. And what we've been seeing, especially most recently, is that we're tending to forget that there are people with lives, emotions, experiences, and backgrounds who actually make those results happen. They're the ones interacting with your customer. They're the ones building your product. They're the ones, again, that are making it happen. And so if your people who are driving these tactics to make your organization successful are not committed, are not motivated, are not connected, if they aren't being given the tools, the resources, the development they need, you're essentially running your business pretty inefficiently. And as we've seen, that talent will either A, deliver subpar results, and or B, leave an organization because they're going to get that commitment, connection, and motivation elsewhere. And so, you know, I really think that investing in people isn't just the right thing to do as people, but it's also the smart business thing to do to optimize your business results. 
And that is true for all businesses, large organizations, small organizations, nonprofits, startups, governments. A hundred percent. If you have an organization that has a goal, investing in your people, the people who are going to get you there is just the smart thing to do. And investing in our people, that is typically, and especially in my mind, associated with corporate culture. It's associated with the feeling of community. What is it that comes to mind when I'm saying to you that culture shouldn't live and can't live under one individual? Because when we're bringing culture into an organization, in my mind, it's something that trickles down from the very top all the way to the bottom, and that comes up from the bottom all the way to the top. So what does culture have to do with community and how does that play into investing into our people for organizational success? The first piece is defining culture. I think that different people define culture in different ways. And so for me, culture is a set of values, beliefs, behaviors, actions that an organization and the people that are part of that organization are constantly engaging in to achieve results. Culture is not swag. Culture is not office snacks. Culture isn't that ping pong table. Those things can contribute. But I really think of culture as a verb. Culture is an action. And so because culture is an action and it encompasses so much, it can't live under one person. It can't just be the manager of culture's job to instill culture because culture is, like you said, constantly being worked on by everybody at the organization or else it's not culture. And so one of the important pieces of community in terms of thinking about community and culture, is that when you have that group of people constantly and consistently behaving in similar ways, you're inherently building community because it's based in trust, in commitment to one another, and connection because you're all doing the same things. And all those pieces are critical for employee engagement. And so when uh, an organization is investing in their people, again, you're trying to build engagement. You're building connection, commitment, motivation by making sure that you have a defined culture. People know what it means to be successful there. And you celebrate when folks are a part of that culture and you listen when you're as an organization not living that culture, you know, that's when you're building that community and people feel connected and are excited to come to work. There's a few things I want to unpack here. You touched on some very important points. You mentioned listening. So that's one of the first ways that helps us build corporate culture, because if we don't understand and truly understand what our people need, then we don't know how to give it to them. So that's often a question that I get when I'm working with clients on building community when they're asking, how do we actually build community? And then we are ultimately getting to the point, how do you infuse culture into an organization? So it usually starts with listening, but you mentioned trust, commitment, and connection. And that's not something that you can build from one day to the next. There are no quick wins here. This is something in the long run. How does an organization actually go about infusing that and authentically starting an effort to bring that to their people? It really starts with, again, starting with your mission and your vision. Like, what are your company goals? And then from there, thinking about, well, what is it going to take to achieve that mission or the vision? What are the behaviors that will enable that? How do we need to work? How do we need to relate to one another? to make that mission and vision a reality. Those are your values. Those are the behaviors that are going to enable you achieving that mission. And then it's 
taking those values, those behaviors, and really thinking about what do those things look like in action? You know, when we have a decision to make, how are we going to use those values to determine the right course of action? And then you keep going lower and you think about, okay, well, how am I going to enable my teammates to pull the cord to say, hey, let's pause We're not following what we said we were going to do. We're not acting in the way that aligns with our culture and our values and our mission. And then how are you listening to folks when those things happen? And how are you responding to it? In terms of building trust, commitment, and connection, it takes work. Any relationship takes work. Building community takes work and commitment. You have to be so genuine in wanting to do this work and... It really comes down to your executive leadership. Are they committed? Do they see the value? Just being really clear about it's something that is prioritized and cared about. And then it makes it much easier to put the other pieces in place. That's something that I see often when I'm benchmarking or look at organizations of different sectors. We see those beautiful mission and vision statements. We see the values on their website. And then you talk to team members and oftentimes what's actually being lived in an organization is quite different to what the ideal is, what leadership defined. And I often see that out there in the real world, saying that this is our mission and these are our values is so different than people who are working there who actually feel that, who go out and speak to their family members and say, I'm being really valued. I feel valued. I feel heard. That's two different things. A hundred percent. What tools can innovative people leaders utilize to help our people and our teams be their very best? I think it just goes back to basics. Ask people what they want out of their careers. Get to know people as people. Learn about them. Be curious about them. And there are many wonderful tools out there to help enable this. But at the end of the day, Those platforms aren't the ones that are getting to know people as people. They're not the ones creating that connection, that human connection, building that commitment, fostering that trust, instilling that pride. And so I think we forget that we have the tools that we need when we just stop and we get to know people as people. When we ask questions, when we're curious, when we want to learn about them, that at the end of the day is what's going to have the most impact in really thinking about enabling best work. If I don't know what energizes you, if I don't know what your strengths are, if I don't know the opportunities that you want or the areas that you need to strengthen and we can't have a conversation about that, then I'm never going to enable you to do your best work. Again, just go back to basics. Stop, learn, listen, get curious. Just care about the human on the other side. It makes total sense. It's really hard to actually implement on a daily basis. When you're thinking that an organization has, I don't know, say 1,500 team members, you can't talk to everybody every day. And then organizations are utilizing tools like surveys, right? Every half year or every year, let's do surveys. Let's see what our employee satisfaction score is. How are things progressing? 
that oftentimes is seen as inauthentic. So the question that we're looking at very often is, how do you anticipate your team members' needs? Who's responsible for that? Because it can't be the people in HR teams knowing everybody. How do you go about communicating early, often, at what level, in order to actually anticipate our team members' needs throughout the organization? Just like culture, it's not just HR's job to instill culture. It's not just HR's job to help people feel seen and heard and connected. It's every single person's job at the organization. And I think more importantly, every single people manager at an organization has essentially a duty to do this with their reports. And so this is where I think it's really important for organizations who are committed to being people first and investing in their people and seeing the results that that can get you. This is where those organizations need to also make sure that they're setting their managers up for success, clarifying with them, what are the standards? What are the expectations? What are the responsibilities that they have as people leaders so that everyone feels like they're being heard, are feeling connected, someone is investing in them, their needs are being anticipated. And then of course, once managers have that information, what do they do with it? And again, continuing to enable people leaders and managers to do their best work in leading their teams. That means purposely setting our leadership up for success. So the question here is, do those once a year courses, the learning and development programs with those workshops, those summer schools, do these have an impact or how do you actually really go about that today? The trainings, the workshops, the skill building, that's all critical to understanding the behaviors and the actions that managers need to take and how they should take them to be successful. Because no one, you know, is just born an effective people leader. Sure, some people are a little bit more inclined to it than others, but it's a really, really hard job. And not everyone should or should be expected to be a people leader. And so I think that, yes, absolutely, that traditional learning and workshops and seminars are very important. I think using coaches is also really helpful in better understanding yourself and your style. And then how does that translate when you're working with other people? But I think quite honestly, it, it also just comes down to who are their leaders and their managers? How are how are they also modeling what we're expecting of people leaders? I could never expect my teammate who reports to me to act a certain way if I'm not modeling that for them too. If I'm not modeling vulnerability, how are they then going to be expected to be vulnerable to others? And so again, I think it comes down to ensuring that the expectations are made clear and folks are, are being held accountable to it. And it starts again with the executive team. If that executive team is not committed, is not living up to the standards and expectations, and it's really hard for a manager to do that. And then specifically as people leaders, it's really thinking about what are we doing in our people strategy and performance management and development opportunities that also then reinforces what we're asking our managers to do. And so that is a really important part too of how is all of that being infused every single day and everything that is done in the company. There are simple things that you can do, even just thinking about, oh, if 
I'm expecting people leaders to have agendas for their one-on-ones. Well, then let's make sure as an organization that in our meetings, we're also having agendas and we have very clear articulation of what we're going to be talking about. And so I think it's absolutely making sure that folks have the knowledge of what they need to do and are able to practice what they need to do, but then also that they're seeing it modeled consistently and that it's an organizational focus. One of the things that comes to mind here is the hybrid work environment that we're experiencing now that actually makes modeling good behaviors quite easier because Mm -hmm. now we're having so many different tools and technology stacks that we're using. So it's not just about the knowledge, but it's also about providing the tools to model that behavior. Do you think the hybrid work environment has made it easier to actually manage or has it become more difficult because we're geographically a bit more separated now? Great question. And so many people are thinking about this right now, especially for organizations that weren't hybrid before many went remote. I think that folks who already were successful at leading people who already understood what was expected of them and you know how to manage teams and were experienced and were able to demonstrate that impact i think that hybrid yes is much easier because you have very clear times that you can meet with folks etc i think where it's harder is for those organizations and those leaders who use proximity to replace really thoughtful connection building and purposeful connection building, I think that's where it's become harder. We kind of take for granted the inherent connectedness that we build when we are in person, when we're waiting for the microwave or sitting beside somebody. It's a lot harder to build that when you are physically separated. I think that it really depends on who and how the leader led to begin with. But I do think that this is a massive opportunity now for organizations to really be purposeful in how to build community and for leaders to be purposeful in how they foster connection and commitment and instill pride in their teams because you no longer have the ability to just go over to someone and have that informal chat. That in my mind makes it even more important because that way I know every gesture or every little thing is done on purpose. And I know it's directed at me for a reason and not, oh, just because I ran into you. It's more work on the leader's part. But I think as the recipient for the team members, it may be more authentic. You're a big proponent of actually creating a culture where people put value onto correctly pronouncing somebody's name, seemingly little things like that have a big impact. Tell me a little bit about why pronouncing our name correctly and making an effort to get other people's names right, why that can have such a big impact on if we're feeling valued and seen and heard in our organization among our team members. When you're thinking about people and really wanting to connect with people, you have to sweat the small stuff. And frankly, as someone who has always had their name mispronounced, my name to me is not small. If I'm not taking the time to say, you know, I don't want to do the short version of your name, please tell me how I'm supposed to pronounce your name. That shows genuine care 
again, when it comes to people, you have to sweat the small stuff because it's the small stuff that helps foster trust, that helps foster safety, that helps foster commitment. And so for some folks who think, oh, whatever, it's just a name and say, oh, can I just call you Al or whatever the case may be, because it's easier for me. That's a really closed off view when at the end of the day, it's about the other person in front of you. I think it's so critical to definitely sweat the small stuff. And it starts again with folks preferred names with folks pronouns. That's a part of their identity. And it is incredibly disrespectful if I'm not taking the time to get to you know who they are. We've talked about current employees now, but there is another target group or another group of very important stakeholders for organizations. And that's the former employees, the people who are leaving retirees or people who move on to other organizations, people who just move in and out as a consultant. How can we as organizations continue to connect with this target group while they're not within our organization anymore, but while they're outside of our organization? And should we actually try to do that? Yeah, I think that's the first question. Like, should we and why? And frankly, I think that if you are a company that's invested in people and you're really thinking about the entire employee life cycle, then a part of people-first organizations who are thinking about that is when folks exit for whatever reason. And especially companies that have customers those folks might also be customers. They're going to talk about your company. They're going to talk about your product. They're going to talk about their experience. And I think it's an opportunity to reflect and say, how do we want folks who leave this organization to talk about us? How could that enable us to continue to find great talent? Or how will it hinder us? It's incredibly important that even through the offboarding experience, folks are being taken care of. Folks are being thoughtfully communicated with because at the end of the day, these are your potential future customers. They're going to talk to people. And, you know, I'm based in New York and it is just astounding how small New York actually is when you start digging into it. And especially if you're in certain industries, it can be pretty small. And so, number one, as an organization, again, it goes back to treat people like people. But number two, think about the impact that not taking the time is going to have. One of the things that I see really innovative organizations do now is actually still provide training opportunities to former team members. So they're actually helping people prepare them for their new roles or for further career development. Is that something that organizations should invest more time and money and effort into? I think it depends on the organization. I think it depends on their resourcing and the maturity. I think for many of the organizations I've worked for, we have very young programming for just our current employees that getting to that point does not make business sense. But I think that if the organization has all of the other things in place, they're doing really well, they have the budget, they see the return in investing in their alumni because they've already demonstrated that they're able to have boomerang employees, folks who come back, then I think that makes sense. But I don't necessarily believe that you just do things to do things. You can put them on a website and whatnot. I think it always needs to go back to how is this going to be in support of your business goals? So that again, the people function, the learning functions are seen as having an impact on the business. 
And how is it integrating with the current team members? You don't want to offer something to external team members that you're not offering to current team members. Exactly. If a resource exactly. is there. <laughs> yeah. That's always the yeah. question. So you just mentioned <laughs> the, the employee life cycle, Alicia. And for me, it always starts at where you're hiring, not just for skill, but actually for cultural fit. We've talked today a lot about creating the right culture in an organization and creating a feeling of community and ultimately also a sense of belonging. And that has to do with not only the organizational values, but people's values. So how do you actually find not just the best talent, but the best fit? And oftentimes that's in unusual places. So how do you go about doing that? So... I don't believe in culture fit. I believe in culture add. And this is where it gets challenging. And you really have to constantly be evaluating your culture because it's very easy to reinforce a culture that then folks who maybe have not been a part of that culture don't work effectively in that way are going to feel, like you said, like they don't belong. And so I think it's incredibly important when you are attracting talent and interviewing talent to really think about culture ad. What experiences has this person have that we don't have on the team right now that's going to make us better, that's going to help us really reflect on and evaluate if we're moving in the right way? How have they contributed to an organization previously? And being really clear and upfront with your candidates as well so that they can also opt out if This is not the type of organization that they want to be a part of. There is no good or bad culture. There's just misaligned cultures or aligned cultures to your business goals. I think it's really important for organizations to really think about not hiring for people that are just going to replicate that have the same educational background, that have the same experiences. But more importantly, how are they going to add to the culture? How are they going to make you better? How are they providing a perspective that you don't have yet, that's really when you get to really strong cultures that enable everyone's best work because they're really thinking about how are we making sure everyone belongs and everyone has a voice and feels included. So it's about bringing in that diversity. We have diverse set of problems to solve in organizations and we also need diverse perspectives to actually tackle these problems and to find the best solutions for them. How do you actually go about creating diversity on all levels, not just gender diversity, but diversity in general? Diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging, accessibility, it's not a nice to have. It needs to be inherent and embedded in every single people decision that you make. It needs to just be a lens through which you create your people strategy and then you action on that people strategy, especially in growing organizations. And so I think diversity isn't just visible diversity. Diversity comes from a variety of backgrounds, experiences, perspectives. Also, when we think about accessibility, there's a lot of experiences that aren't visible. I look a certain way, but you have no idea of the life that I've lived. And you can't make assumptions about it. It's incredibly important that as we think about recruiting too, really looking at your practices of where are you getting your talent from? What is similar about them? What is different? I think about whose voice isn't a part of this room. Because if I have one leader telling me that this is the challenge, well, who is a part of this that I'm not listening to that I need to bring in? And so I think everything that you do needs to 
have thought towards DEIBA embedded within it. And it's also, again, just critical to remember that it's not just visible diversity. There's so much in the human experience that we can all learn from and is incredibly valuable. Whose voice is not in the room? It makes us realize that we're never done learning. The buck doesn't stop with us. There is always more opinions and more information and more knowledge and more experiences out there. So what does this phrase always be learning mean to you, Alicia, for you personally, for your own life, and also for the people that you support professionally? Curiosity is one of the things that I just value greatly and I think is really important for people leaders. Everything that we've discussed always goes back to get curious, always be learning, always be learning about your organization, always be learning and curious about what's happening externally that could impact your people internally. Always be learning about the people that you're working with. Get curious about them so that you can better enable their work. As leaders, the moment that we stop being curious, it's the moment that we stop learning. The world changes. Our organizations are going to change. And if we're not open and willing to learn and change alongside that, then we're not going to get where we need to go. I started my career as a teacher. Teaching and learning, that's one of the things that I am most energized by is getting to learn new things and learning about other people. Get curious, always be learning, and enable your people. With that, Alicia, I'd like to thank you for being on the show today. Thanks so much, Simone. This is great. Thank you for listening to the Building Community Podcast. Is there a leader in your organization or network who needs to hear this? Please share this podcast with them. Help get the word out about the immense value of community. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, tell a friend, and leave us a review. Until next time, help your communities thrive. Thank you.